week's parsha is Parshas Kisavai. The Torah says at the beginning of the parsha when it speaks about the mitzvah of Bikurim, you should come with your basket of fruit, of the new fruit of the Shiva Saminim. Come to the Kayin. That is going to be there at that time. The Amarita Elav, and you should say to him, He got it Hashem Lekecha, I am stating, I am declaring today to Hashem, Kivasi Elahaz Hashem Nishba Hashem, Lavisein Elahaz that I have come to the land that Akadishvahu promised our forefathers to give to us. And then he goes forward with the entire parsha of Bikurim. And the Ishbitzer notes the Lashon of Higadeti. This Lashon of declaring, using the Lashon of Hagadot, that when the farmer comes to the Kayin, he uses a Lashon of Higadeti. And we know that Haggadah is always a Lashon Kasha. When you want to give a Musash Mus to someone, you would say, Ani I told him, telling him with like a Shtarkite, with a, with a power to it, with a punch. That's Higadati. And the Ishpitzer says, what exactly was the Musash Mus that the farmer was giving to the Kayin? You're reading a parasha of Mikra Bikurim, but where is the Higadati? Where is the Musar in it? And the Ishpitzer says that what the farmer is essentially telling the Kayin in a very nice way, but in a, in a forward way, is that don't be so high and mighty, you Kayin. You sit in the Besamikdash, you serve the Rabbani Shalom, Yaimu Malayla, you're in the Chatzrei's base Hashem, the Seichechi Yerushalayim, that's pretty good. That's nice. But don't think that you're the only one serving God. Don't think that the way that you serve Hashem is the only way to do it. Because look, even little me, a farmer who works the land and tills the soil and plants and waters and fertilizes and reaps, I too have a, a role to play in Hashem's world. And I'm presenting to the Rebbeinu Shalom, I'm going to put it by the Mizbeach Hashem, the fruits that I have worked so hard to produce, and I'm going to declare, but to you as well, that I too serve a role on the stage of HaKadosh Baruch it's not just the Kayin who sits in his ivory tower and serves HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the pure and sacred way of Karbanes and Sila and Aveda. Even a farmer, a Jewish farmer who is working in some Moshav, in some farm in any part of Eretz Yisrael comes to the Kayin and declares to him I too and like a Kayin in my own way. And that's a tremendous Musr Shmuz for the Kayin. For a Kayin to hear that, that's an eye-opening thing. To realize that not only am I serving HaKadosh Baruch on the Beis HaMikdash, but every Yid has that same opportunity in different venues. This echo is a vart of Rav Shamshir Hirsch on a Pasuk that we say every day in Elul and until until Sukkot, until Shemini Atzeres and L'david Hashem Ari V'yishi Achas Sha'alti Meis Hashem Oista Avakesh I ask you of one thing Hashem Shifti B'Beis Hashem Kol Yimei I want to sit in the house of Hashem all of the days of my life 
This is what David Amal's request was, Akadish I want to sit 24-7 in Hashem's house. And Rav Hirsch asks that even a Kayin doesn't get to do that. Kayanim, they go home to sleep, they go home to eat lunch. What does that mean, to sit, to dwell in the house of Hashem all the days of my life? And Rav Hirsch says it doesn't mean that you have to sit literally in the house of Hashem, but wherever you are in the world, as long as you're serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's Ki'ilu, you're sitting in the house of Hashem. You have a mobile base on Mikdash. You have a mobile base on Medrash. You don't have to necessarily be serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the base Medrash. But you can take the base Medrash, you can take the base on Mikdash, you can take the Kedosh HaKadoshim with you in whatever capacity you choose to. That's what David HaMelech meant. Whether I'm eating, whether I'm at war, whether I'm learning, whether I'm davening, I should always have the aura around me of the Beis Hashem. It goes without saying that the tachlis of a ben Torah and the tachlis really of every yid is to learn Tyra and to learn as much Tyra as we can and to learn Tyra in the deepest way that we possibly can muster. That's a given. But at the same time, it's also very important to understand that if we choose another path for our lives, if we choose not to make Tairasa and Nasai, if we choose not to stay in learning day and night for the rest of our lives, which is an ideal, but if we can't, or for whatever reason we've decided that that's not our personal Mahalach, then we have to understand that that's not a Bidiyeved. We shouldn't feel that way. We should understand that whatever Mahalach we end up doing with our lives is a l'chatchilo. And that we feel good about what we're doing and that we see the opportunity in serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu in that way. I remember reading a, a book years ago, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it just came out. I don't, even, I don't want to say the name of the book because it was a fascinating book, but I think it sort of, the author um, used the information in sort of like a negative way, but it was a book about the yeshiva. The world of the yeshiva and the way yeshivas, you know, differ from one another. It was a very interesting read. And I'll never forget, he interviewed a lot of people, and one person was from a yeshiva that, you know, was pushing very strong that you have to stay in learning the rest of your life. And he said that, I ended up going out to work, but the rest of my life, I felt like an utter failure. I felt like I failed the system. This isn't what my Rebbein had in mind for me. And I felt like everything that I was doing was, you know, using my terminology, a bidyevid. A yid has to know that, of course, the ideal is terasa and nasai. The ideal is halavai, I should be able to, I should have the gishmak, I should have the ability, the wherewithal, to sit and learn in the base Madrash. That's a given. But we know that life is not always an ideal. There are other considerations in life. Every person's is different. And when, if and when that day comes and we've decided that we have to do something other than learning day and night, then that has to be understood as not a failure. There is opportunity to Makadesh our lives and to Makadesh the Rabbanishlam's world through our efforts, even in the fields, even in the vineyards, even in the office, even in the operating room. There is opportunity to Makadeshim Shemayim Rabbin. And that's how a person has to understand and to define his existence, if that is his existence.
There's a great book from Rishel Salanter. Rishel Salanter, going on a Chazal. Chazal says about Chanaich, one of the personalities in, in Parshish Parashas was Chanaich, and it says in Chazal that Chanaich was Tefer Tzvirais he was involved with, with stitching. I don't know if he was a shoemaker or he was a tailor, but he would be stitching stitches and he'd be at the same time miyachedichudim. is like some divine um, terminology, Kabbalistic terminology about how he's like making HaKadosh Baruch one. So the simple types in that chazal is that, all right, don't, you know, he's a tzaddik. So even if he was Nebuchadnezzar shoemaker, but at the same time he wasn't wasting time, he was also thinking about very lofty, holy thoughts while he was sewing those shoes. Rabbi Yisrael says, that's not what the chazal means, because that wouldn't be right in a cheshim mishpatika way. How does a person who you're employing to make, him, to make you a, a suit or a pair of shoes, how does he have the right to not be focusing on what he's doing? How does he have the right to be thinking about being miyachid or benishlam and elamis al It's not fair. I don't want my suit to look like, you know, every stitch is like all over the place. I want exactly a professional job like I'm paying for. Zakti bisal salanta. That's not the pshat. He was tefer tefiros, and he was doing it in a precise manner. His his nose was pressed to the to the to the workbench, and he was doing exactly the work that he was paid for. The stitches, each and every one of them, was exact and perfect and precise. And that is exactly how he was miyachid yichudim. The way to be miyachid the rabbeinu in the world, you do a good job, you do what you actually got paid to do. That's how HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets machas. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do good work. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be honest and to have integrity and to be professional. And when we act in a way that espouses the Shem Shemayim, shows people how a Yid is supposed to be, that itself is miyachid yichudim. That gives Hakadosh Baruch Hu the ultimate nachas, because you're showing the world what a godly person does. This is something that's very important in our yeshiva to understand, as it is, I think, in all yeshivas, but specifically ours, because ours is a yeshiva that we have a college together with the base Medrash, and we try very hard to make it a wholesome Torah experience. We try very hard that the courses that are offered in the afternoon and evening are filtered from the Kfira and the Minos and the Pritzos that colleges elsewhere all around the world are not careful about. And as such, we hope to create a seamless Tantaira that's able to be a Tamachacham of the highest order and at the same time be able to, if they choose, to have a profession, a career that is one which is full of Kedusha. And that's what the purpose of this institution really is, to create a Tantaira par excellence that's able to decide as he goes further in life, whatever he wants to do is possible, and he could serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in any place, in anywhere, at any time, with Kedusha, with Taira, with reverence. That's, that's the Tachlis. And we have, Baruch Hashem, the products that we have from, from the Spanish Talmud, I think are second to none and I know many yeshivas, I've been personally many yeshivas, I know many yeshivas, and I know Talmidim of many yeshivas, and I would, I would put our Talmidim up against any of them, and they would be able to be on very equal footing. We have Talmidim that are Rashi yeshivas, 
We have Talmidim that are Melamdim, that are in Hashkocha, that are in Rabbonus, in Dayanus. We have Talmidim that are sitting and learning Yem that are tremendous, tremendous Talmidim Chachamim. And then we also have Talmidim that are doctors and that there are lawyers and architects and engineers. And I'm equally proud of all of them. Because each and every one of them, if they're real Talmidim, they understand and they embody this Yisait of Higadity, that I could declare myself as being an Ebed Hashem in any capacity that I find myself in. There's a great letter from Rav Hutner. I've been trying to buy this letter for years and years and years. I know who Rav Hutner wrote the letter to. I'm a little close to the person that Rav Hutner wrote the letter to. And I have, I want that letter so badly. I'm a little bit of a collector and this is like my, you know, prize butterfly that I want to hang on my wall. Like this is the, this is the, the letter that I want and he refuses to sell it to me. Um, I think someday I'll get it, but, um, for the time being, it's still by him. He's keeping it for me. Um, the letter was written to this individual. I'm not going to say all the specifics about him because it's, uh, you know, it's. It, I don't want it to. I don't want his identity to be to be known. But he was a a very big Talmud of of Rehutner. He was in the, you know, in the Dardaya of Rav Hutner and with a real Talmidim, you know, that became big Rosh Hashibas. And he, for whatever reason, decided that he wanted to go to medical school. And he went to medical school somewhere in Europe with Rav Hutner's blessing. And it didn't really, he became a doctor, but he, his Yiddishkeit really floundered and he ended up, you know, he ended up marrying somebody that was not at all, you know, who he should have married. And it was, he basically lived many, many years of his life not, not from. Or if he was maybe, maybe somewhat from, I don't think he was from at all, for many, many decades. But at the, in the end, Baruch Hashem, he came back. And today, you know, if you'd see him, he has like a long frack and he has a long beard and payas and a, and a Hamburg. He looks like a big Rosh Hashiva today, but there were many, many years in the middle that he completely went off the radar. And he wrote Rav Hutner a letter from medical school. This was just at the time, I guess, that he was beginning to lose his Yiddish title a little bit. And he was sort of writing the Tyrus having a taina against Rav Hutner for how dare did you tell me to go to medical school? He says, I feel like as a doctor and as a, you know, I'm living a, a double life. Living a double life. He's like, um, am I a doctor? Am I a Ben Taira? Am I a, am I a, you know, am I a student? Am I a, am I, am I, am I, am I don't know what I am anymore. At least when I was in yeshiva, I knew what I was. Now you send me off to medical school. And, you know, and I'm a, I'm a shtickle doctor, and I'm a shtickle ben and I'm, I'm, like, confused. I'm living, like, this double life. And Rav Hutner famously said that you missed the boat. And he says that you're not a double, living a double life. You're living a broad life. He uses a muscle, Rav Hutner. He says, if a person, you know, has, let's say, a home... And then he has another home somewhere else. He has another apartment somewhere else that, no, that his family doesn't know about. And he does who knows what in that other apartment. He parties there like a, like a buffer, but, he has, but he, he has a home like it here. So then that's living a double life. Living a double life. I had a friend who told me that he found out years later that his, he had a grandfather who had two separate families. He had a family, whatever, somewhere in, 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 in Europe. And he had a family in, uh, you know, in one town, a wife and children, and then he had a family in another town, like somewhere far away. You know, and the only reason he can get away with that because he's going on business trips or whatever. He had two families, and neither of the families knew about it. 
They only found out years later, you know, they had half sisters, half brothers. This is a true story. That's a double life. That's pure and simple, a double life. For if one says, if let's say you have a, a home, and the home happens to have, instead of one bedroom, you have a two-bedroom home. So would anyone say, oh my gosh, you're living a double life. You have two bedrooms in your home. That's not a double life. That's a broad life. You're living like a mensch. You know, yeah, you're living Barabbas. You have a broad life to you. You, have, you don't have to live cramped in one, in one, apartment, in one bedroom apartment. You have a two-bedroom apartment. That's a broad life. And Rafundar basically goes on to say that there was a doctor in Yerushalayim. He was the founder of Shari Tzedek Hospital, the famous hospital on the top of Bait Vagan. And his name was Dr. Moshe Wallach. He was a Yekish Ayid. He moved from Germany to Israel in the early 1900s. And he founded this hospital. And he was a surgeon as well. And Rav said that he once went to this hospital and he saw this Dr. Wallach, this famous legendary Dr. Wallach, and he was, he approaches a patient on a gurney that was about to be wheeled into his own operating room and he asks this patient for his name in Hebrew and for his mother's name in Hebrew because he wanted to say Tehillim over his patient before he starts taking a knife to him. And Rav says to this Talmud, I ask you, is that Dr. Wallach living a double life? Is he a doctor or is he a tzaddikal? What is he? Wait, well, a doctor, a surgeon is going to start saying to him? That's a double life? That's a broad life. It's possible to be marked, he says. Your existence. And you're broadening your horizons. You're taking the Shem Shemayim and you're spreading it to the universe in different, very, very beautiful ways. And that's an opportunity that a Yid has. And that you have to understand that that exists. This isn't a shmooze to take away people from becoming B'nai Taira and staying and learning. Khalilo. If that's what a person wants to do, then that's absolutely the most amazing thing in the world. But if a person can't do that, for whatever reason, and everyone knows their own personal reasons, then they have to understand that they are not going to be entering a world of the Diabed. They, they could remain if they set their standards very high and they focus on what exactly they need to do. You too could be shifted to base Hashem call you I want this letter so bad because I think that it's a letter which is sort of a charter for this institution. You have here a, a stempel, a, a stamp of Rav on, on a on a lifestyle that is somewhat of a Kiddush in the Elam HaTayra. But to me at least, it spells out, it gives a very big room for us to be motivated in whatever Malach we choose, that we too could be shifted to Beis Hashem Kalei And it took this person many, many years to understand this. Decades. But in the end, this letter maybe brought him back and made him understand what Rav Hutner meant. Sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to understand what your Rebbe says when he says it. And sometimes it takes many, many years of marinating until you finally understand what your Rebbe meant. Now, I think a lot of you might be asking yourself, okay, so I understand I could be a good Jew. I could be a good Jew out in the fields. I could be Makadeh Shem Shemayim Givaldik. But what about my Tyra? What about Tyra? Good, I'll be a good Jew, I'll be a fine Balabayas. But is it possible for me to shtaib after I leave the Kaisley Beis Medrash? I don't want to be an Amaretz, I don't want to be a regular, a regular Joe, I want to be somebody great. I don't want to lose my aspirations in learning and in Tyra. I, I respect people that are, that are fine Balabatans, but I have higher aspirations for myself. 
I want to have it all. I want to be able to be very successful in my, in my commerce and in my profession. But at the same time, I don't want to forfeit my dreams and aspirations of being a goggle. Can I do both? There's a, par- a postlog in next week's parasha. Parashas needs sabim. Parak lamet postlog yud gimel v'loy me'eder la'yomhi. The Torah says that it's not me'eder la'yom. Now this postlog, a lot of times you'll hear it from Rabbanim and Mashkitim in the context of tshuva because the Rishonim are divided about what these psukim are talking about. But Chazal really speak about it also b'negei Torah. It says, is not It's not over the seas. It's not across the wild blue yonder. Lamar, as to say, Who's going to go and be like a great explorer and find the Torah from over the sea? It's not that far away. It's here. The Torah is acceptable. Whoever wants to learn, you can learn. You don't have to travel for it. The Gemara in Erevin and the Menheim and Aleph brings a memra from Rabbi Yechanan. Remember who says this. Rabbi Yechanan says, is not going to be found. Traveling businessmen and peddlers they will not have Tyra. They won't have Tyra. We're dashing the possibility. Tyra cannot be found by people that are traveling. If you're a guy that's always on the boats and always taking airplanes and always taking cars and you're traveling sales and you're going from here to there and there to here and you're always moving and running, that's not how Tyra is going to be able to permeate. The person has to sit and learn. Can't be running and expect to be a Talmud Chacham. That's what Rabbi Yechonah says in the Sechah's Erevin. And I believe that Rabbi Yechonah was going with Shittasel. This Shittah of Rabbi Yechonah, that if you're a businessman, if you're in the world of commerce, you cannot really claim to be able to sit and learn, is Rabbi Yechonah There's a Gemara in Tainus and Abchaf Alephim and Aleph, the Gemara says as follows, Ilfa of Rabbi Yechanan. There were two people, tremendous Amayayim, Ilfa and Rabbi Yechanan. Havugarsi Bariyaisa, and they were sitting and learning the Chavrusa. Dechikalu Milsa, but the poverty was getting to them. They didn't have food to eat. Amri, and they said, Nekam v'nezo v'niavid iska, unakayim v'nafshin, efes kilayia, Let's go and make some parnasa. We need to, we have to leave Yeshiva time. We can't do this forever. We've been sitting and learning in Kaila for years and years and years. And Yigia, Hazman, we have to go and make a parnasa. We can't do this anymore. Oslu, They sat underneath like a shaky wall. Havukakarki rifted, they were eating lunch together. Also, Trey Malachi Asharis. Two Malachi Asharis came. Shame Rabbi Yechanan, Rabbi Yechanan, not Ilfa. Rabbi Yechanan heard these Malachim conversing between the two of them, and he said, "Damil Chava Chavre." One said to the other, "Nishti Alayu Haiguda." Then Aptalino, let me push down this wall. Come, help me push down the wall on them. Let's kill them both. Why? Shemenichem Chayeilam Haba Va'Oisim B'Chayeishah. Because they are abandoning, they are setting out to leave Torah, which is they're giving up Nitzchias for a couple of, for a morsel of bread, for a Chayeshah, to live a couple of years in this world, they're willing to give it all up. To eat a little bit. To have another, another pastrami sandwich, they're willing to give up. It's better to kill them now before they make such a tragic mistake. The other one said, "Shavkinu, no, no, let's leave them." Because one of them is going to be very great someday, and 
he's going to be a, a tremendous goggle and he can't die. We have to keep him alive. Rabbi Yechanan Shama, Ilfa Le Shama, Rabbi Yechanan heard this conversation. Ilfa was not privy to these words. Amalei Rabbi Yechanan Le Ilfa, Shama Ma'amidi, he said, Rabbi Yechanan turns to him and says, Did you hear anything? Amalei, what? No, I didn't hear anything. Amalei, so Rabbi Yechanan thought to himself, Midashah Mi'anah. Since I was the one that heard what the Malachim were saying, the Ilfa Loishama and Ilfa didn't. Shmamina Lididi Kaimali Shaita. I must be the one that's going to be great someday. Amrle Rabbi Yechanan. Rabbi Yechanan turns to Ilfa and says, "Ihader Vuuki Ben Avshar Kila Yechtal Evin Mikavarts." I'm going back to the base matter. You go to work. I'm going to the base matter. I'm sorry. Rabbi Yechanan Hadar, Ilfa Hadar, Rabbi Yechanan Taka went back to the base Medrash and learned, and he became the great Rabbi Yechanan. Ilfa went out to work. Ada also Ilfa, when Ilfa came back many years later from his business trips, Malach Rabbi Yechanan, Rabbi Yechanan became the Melech. He became the big Rosh Hashiva. Amrulai, they said to him, the people said to Ilfa, I Asiv Marbegaris, had you been the one that stayed and learned, we never would have made Rabbi Yechon in the Rosh Hashiva. You are much greater than Rabbi Yechon in learning. Although, so Ilfa went, on top of a boat, there's something called a, um, um, a mast. Right? A mast is like the, the big pole in the middle of the ship, and there's big, What? And, and there's big sails that are attached to it, but it's a very high, high, uh, high thing on the top of the ship. Ilfa climbs on top of the mast, and he says, If anyone has any questions in learning that I can't prove, in a very, very exact manner, then I'm going to jump off from the mass and I'm going to fall into the, into the ocean and I'll drown. That's basically the end of the Gemara. What do we see from the Gemara? There are Bechen and Shita was, at least after hearing the Malachim, he was convinced that there can't be a Kiyam of Taira if you're going Me'ever Layam. If you're going Me'ever Layam, you have to make a choice in life. You want to be a Tamachachim, you go to the base Medrash. You want to be a businessman, you go on the ship. But you can't have both. That's Rabbi Yechanan's decision. Now it's Rashita. Ilf, on the other hand, said, I think you can. And in fact, the Marsha says, why did he go on the master ship? Couldn't he go on a roof? Couldn't he climb up, so take a ladder and climb up? Why did he have to go on a ship? So the Marsha says, because he's alluding to the Gemara in Erevin, where Rabbi Yechanan says, that that you're not going to find a kiyam of Torah people that go out on the seas to do business they can't have Torah Ilfa says oh yeah I'll prove that you can Rabbi Yechanan you're wrong I'm going to go on a ship on the top of a ship which is where I am and I'll show you that even though I was a businessman and even though I was traveling I was still able to become a great Talmud Chacham. I didn't sacrifice that much by going out onto the seas. This is the Machlokes between Rabbi Yechon and Ilfa about can you have it both? Can you have it all? Can it be a Talmud Chacham and a businessman or is that not possible? You can't mix and match. You can either be a Talmud Chacham or you'd be a businessman. You can be a businessman that learns a little bit but you can't be a businessman that's really going to steig and really be like optimizing your learning. <coughs> now, Rebbeichen and Shita does make a lot of sense. Because after all, I mean, you know, you can't be a Tamar Chacham by osmosis. You have to be able to sit and learn, number one. You have to put in the hours. Number two, you have to have an environment that's conducive to learning. And businessmen don't have either. They're not sitting in their base madrash, that they're putting in all of those hours that's necessary. And number two, what are they doing? 
they're traveling, and they're, you know, speaking to people, and they're busy with their warehouses, and with their inventory, and with their taxes, and with their, with their payrolls, and making able, you know, all these things, dealing, you have a store, you know what it takes to, to run a store, and, and, and dealing with people, and customer service, and telephones, and computers, and, and all these things, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. So, it's very hard, obviously, if you're a businessman, to have the ability to stay in that realm of shift to Hashem And Rabbi Yechanan is really absolutely correct in his assumption and his insistence. That's why you can't be both. You can't really be a, a huge Tamachacham and at the same time expect to go and do business and be traveling the seas and be doing you know, commerce and interacting with so many people, men and women, Gayim and Jews, and expect to be a Rabbi Yechanan. But Ilfa felt that you could. And Ilfa said that I'm going to be Mekayim on myself. Parnasa, and at the same time, I'm going to continue shtaiging and learning. That's the sheet of Ilfa. I want to read you a letter. It's in a very good book. I'm not going to say which one. Um, there's a great Tamatafim, a great Paisley by the name of Rabbi Danzig. And he was the author of perhaps one of the most classic svarim on halacha called the Chaye Adam. Now, I don't know how many people necessarily learn the Chayadim anymore. Generally, either learn the Mishnabur or you learn Kitzvah Shachanara. People, Chayadim is somewhere in the middle. Although the Mishnabur quotes the Chayadim very often. Growing up in my home, my father, Ova Shalom, used to always learn the Chayadim. And on Shabbos, he would, by the Shabbos table, you know, either he would learn or he'd give it to me, and I would, I would learn at the table. And it's an interesting thing. I, I, uh, when I was mastered my father, I was speaking about this, about how much he loved the Chayadam. And after the Hesper was over, um, and I was coming out of, the, out of the building, this Jew, who I never saw before my entire life, until this day, I don't know who he was, but for some reason he was by my father's um, funeral, he comes over to me and he says, I heard what you said about your father and the Chayadam. He says, you should know, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but today is the Yarset of the Chayadam. The Chayadam writes, in Akdama of not the Chayadam, he wrote another Sefer called Chachmas Adam. And he wrote in the Akdama of that Sefer, the following. I'm going to skip a little bit, but listen to what he writes. It's very Negev. He says, I know that people will whisper about me, saying, isn't the author the same man who engaged in commerce, that businessman who traveled to Frankfurt and Leipzig for over 15 years? I Meaning he was talking about himself. He was a businessman, the Chayadam. When, when was he able to find time to learn Tyro? Does the Torah not attest to the fact that interpreted by our sages to mean that Torah is not attained by those who engaged in trade and business? So what's this guy doing? What's this Chayadam? Who does he think he is? He's a businessman. What's he doing? And then we're going to skip a very important part of the letter, but we'll go to the next part. Although I traveled great distances carrying out my business, my wisdom remained since when I went on the road and when I sat in my store, my mind was engaged in Tyra. May I be rewarded for the fact that even as I was involved in my business dealings and negotiations, it was common that my mind pondered Tyra matters especially those six constant mitzvahs that I list in Chayodam that we know about. There are six mitzvahs to medias, 
There have been very good books written, some written about these recently, the six constant mitzvahs, that you can constantly be mekayim. He says, the merchants in my circles can attest to the fact that even when I was traveling in Leipzig, my Gemara, Chumash, and Mishnah were always with me. Even during the actual trade fair, I learned a daf and a half of Gemara each day, besides from Mishnayas. I write this not to be prideful. Of this I can assure you. Does one boast that he danced filling every day? The same applies to the obligation of studying Torah each day. You know, you're not Miss oh, I put on you, you ever see people go around, I put on film today. Duh, everybody did in this room. So why would I boast that I learned Torah every day? I mean, the same way it's a mitzvah to put on film, it's a mitzvah to learn. Why would, I, why would I be so prideful about that? I write this only to make merchants aware of the fallacy that a traveler engaged in business is exempt from mitzvahs. Heaven forbid. I hope that my sons and descendants follow in my way. This will be a great source of merit for me. Yeah, I was a businessman. But don't think that I sacrificed an iota of how great I could become because I maximized the time that I was spending in my store and the time that I was spending traveling and at fairs and at conventions every free moment, and even when I was actually engaged in commerce, my mind was also enveloped in Tyran and Mitzvahs and Kedusha. Now this seems very difficult to do, and it is. It's probably impossible to do, actually. But at least it gives us a standard, it gives us a bar. And this is the Mahalath of Ilfa. That Ilfa says, I might have been Me'evel Ayam. But with all due respect to Yechanan, I was able to remain a tremendous Hamachacham and I grew even after I left the base Madrash. <coughs> the truth is that Yechanan is 100% right. Because the, the default and the rise and the Ruba de Ruba can't do this. We can't pull this off. To be an Ilfa is like, to, you know, it's asking like an impossible thing. But we should know that it's possible. That's all that we should know from Ilfa. From Ilfa we should learn that it is possible. And that a person could go to work. And at the same time be a tremendous Talmud Chacham. There are a few people that if I would have time to write biographies I would want to write a biography about. Only like maybe two or three people. One would be the Altaf and Sabatka, who really never got a, a proper biography and he, he deserves one. Another one is Ravram Elia Kaplan, who probably no one in this room, unless you've heard me speak about him, ever heard of. But he was a tremendous guy and he was, one of, he was the favorite Talmud of the Altaf and Sabatka. And he died very young at 33, but he was supposedly the greatest of all of his Talmidim, and his Talmidim are quite, quite famous and quite great in their own right, each and every one of them. And the third person would be Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Margolius. Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Margolius was fascinating personality in Jewish history because he was not only considered on the first tier of Gedele Yisrael, of Tamid HaChachamim, this day and age, not this, this time of year, the, uh, the, um, the Mata Ephraim, it should be a very popular safe, and the Mishnah Brewer quotes it very often, it basically is Halachas from Elul till after Sukkot. And it speaks about all the Halachas, these time this time of year. And he wrote many Svarim, the Shari Ephraim, and the Yad Ephraim, and many, many Svarim. He's a tremendous guy in learning. Rabbi Kiva was maspidim and said like he was mamish, you know, he was tayrugdul makamechad. But what makes him so unique, to me at least, besides for his greatness in Tyra, he was probably the richest Jew in the world. He was the most successful businessman. He had a bank in Vienna that was basically printing money for himself. He was a billionaire in, 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 in modern dollar uh, standards. He was able to do both 
he was able to be a tremendous Talmud Chacham. Mamish, not just Talmud, you know, we throw around that everyone say a Talmud Chacham. But he was a real Talmud Chacham, a, a Gain Amiti. But at the same time, he was able to engage in business. There are many stories about him that are told that, you know, how he would dedicate a very big portion of his day to sitting and learning. He didn't want to hear about business. And one time, you know, and he told his, his servant, his, his, his assistant, don't let anyone into my private study from, you know, from 9 o'clock in the morning until 12 o'clock. I don't want to see anybody. And all of a sudden, one day, you know, who comes to the door but, like, the Bill Gates of, of that time and said, is Rabbi Margolis here? I have a tremendous deal for him. I have a deal that's going to net him $100 million. Says, well, he's a little busy. Can you come back at twelve? Come back at twelve. I'm Bill Gates. I don't come back at twelve. Hello, is he is he in the house? Then get him. He says, well, he told me. I don't care what he told you. I have a deal. The deal is going to go dead in a few hours. I have to know if he's on board or not. Go and disturb whatever in the world he's doing. Says, but he's learned. I don't care what he's doing. So sheepishly. This Mishari thought that, okay, maybe this is an exception. So he goes and knocks gently, gingerly on the door of Ephraim Zalman. Ephraim Zalman says, who's there? So then Shaman's coming and says, didn't I tell you not to disturb me? I'm learning now. He says, yeah, but uh, you don't understand. Mr. Bill Gates is here. And he, uh, you know, he has a deal. I don't want to hear it. It's, I'm, I'm learning now. He says, but what should I tell him? He says, tell him to come back at 12. He says, but he's going to, he said he's not going to come back. Just, oh, whatever, just tell him, maybe he will, who cares? I'm learning now, goodbye. So, I know that you think the end of the story is going to, like all stories, have a very happy ending. You know, Bill Gates is going to be so impressed that he doubled the deal and he made a billion dollars. <laughs> That's not the way the story ended. Much better ending. Bill Gates heard that Ephraim Zalman is not coming to the door to see him. And he says, you could tell Rabbi Margolis that never will I ever do another business deal with him. A chutzpah. I'm here, I made a special trip to do a deal with him, and he's not coming to the door. He's finished. 12 o'clock comes. Rabbi Zaman asks his Mishar's no, is Bill Gates coming back? Did he wait? He says, no, he got very upset. He's leaving. He said he's never going to do another deal with you. Ephraim Zalman started dancing and he says, Baruch Hashem, you know, I'm going to come up to Elam Haba and how are they going to determine how much chashivas to give my learning? What's it worth? I don't know. Does everybody get the same exact style for learning? No. You name your own value for learning. Now I could say to Hashem that you know what my learning is worth? My learning is worth a billion dollars. And times that by the thousands and tens of thousands of hours that I've learned over my life. And I am going to be a trillionaire in Shemayim. It's possible to be a Chaye Adam. It's possible to be a Rebbe Fahim It's possible to be an Alshech. The Alshech HaKadosh was a businessman also. He wrote, says the Arachayim HaKadosh, he wrote... A safe on Kalatara Kula. The Alshuk was very prolific. He wrote a safe on Kalatara Kula while he was writing, while he was doing business. You could do it, you could pull it off. Is it easy? No. But you should know that it's doable. So we might not be a Rafamizam Margolis. We might not be a Chayyadam. And we might not be an Alshuk Akadesh. But we could be the best that we could be. It's possible. Don't think that the second that you graduate and you walk out the door of Lander College Men, that's it. You're relegated to be a very low-level type of Tamachacham that can't aspire to anything more than learning, maybe a daf or something like that. You could be amazing. And I see time and time again people, rarely, but people are able to learn in a real way, in a deep way, and at the same time be able to have a profession and be able to be married and be able to do everything. And that's the Mahalach of Ilfa. And I want to suggest one final thing. That not only was it the Mahalach of Ilfa, for Rabbi Eichel and I think 
would agree, even Rabbi Eichanan, that under certain circumstances that would be possible. There's a Gemara in Psachim. The Gemara in Psachim on the Avkufi of Gimel and Aleph says as follows. Amr Rabbi Eichanan. Rabbi Eichanan says, Gimel minoichlei ha'olam haba. There are three types of people that will inherit the world to come. Anyway, number one, Hadar the Eretz Yisrael. If a person lives in Eretz Yisrael, he will inherit the world to come. Number two, Hamagado Banavutamatayra. If you raise your children and you educate them to follow the ways of the Taira. And number three, Hamabdil Al Hayayin the Maitsai Shabbosis. You make Abdullah. So even though, you know, you might have had two strikes just now, but, you know, the third one is an easy, it's an easy bump. Everyone makes Abdullah, Matzai, Shabbos. So, okay, we could stay in America, and we don't have to have children, or we don't have to care about what our children do. We make Abdullah every Matzai, Shabbos, Baruch Hashem, right? So the Gemara says, what does that mean? I'm Abdullah, Ma'ihiwa, what does that mean? Zot to Gemara to Mishayah, Mikidusha, we have Dalta. Zot to Yechen, no! Not just make Abdullah, but you leave over wine from Kiddush to Abdullah. Now, what that means is a very big machlekas reshainim. Whether it means if you have enough, you don't have enough wine on Shabbos to, you know, to enjoy Shabbos, but yet, you, and, but you want to make Abdullah, so you leave over a lot of wine for Abdullah, even though you're going to, be denying yourself wine on Shabbos. Others say different malach. But the pashtas in the Gemara, and this is the way the priest understands the Gemara, is that it means simply that every Shabbos you make Kiddush, leave a little wine in the cup and save it for Matzai Shabbos. I had a great-great-grandfather who was one of the G'dayle Adar in Germany. His name was Rav Yitzchak Taiv HaLevi Bamberger, otherwise known as the Wurzburger Rav. He was the Rav in a city called Wurzburg. And he has a Becher. A cousin of mine, Eretz Yisrael, owns this Becher. He came through the, you know, through the generations. A beautiful, large Becher. And it has a lid on it. It's like a Kiddush cup with a lid on it, which is unusual. You know, how many times did you see a Kiddush cup with a lid on it? And my cousin told me that this is the minig of the Mishpacha that the Wurzburger oven following this Gemara, and he wasn't alone, and the Chassam Seifer had the same minig and others, of Gedele Ashkenaz, that he would make Kiddush, and then after Kiddush was made, and you have cup wine left over in your kais, you put a lid on, you save it for Abdullah. comes Abdullah, you fill up the cup with Abdullah wine, you let it pour over, you make Abdullah. That's in keeping with this Gemara, that if you want to be Minayfa, Cool. But what does the Gemara mean? For that I get Eilam Haba, it's so easy. So listen to what the Ksav Seifer, the son of the Chassam Seifer, says as the Taichinus Gemara. He says, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Balabatim, Shabbos is the only day of the week that they could really learn. Because the whole week they're running to and fro, they're running all around the world, they're busy and they're hacking and they're doing... And they don't have time to learn, or if they learn, it's very shvach. Shabbos, you know, is a day they're not working, and they have 24 hours, 25 hours to sit in shvach, and they go to shiurim, and they make kavrusas, and they have time, and they, you know, could sit and learn like a mensch. He says, but comes Matzai Shabbos, comes Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and, and it's gone. Only Shabbos they're learning. He says, do you think you're going to get into Elam Abba? based on one day of learning a whole week? Ridiculous. You have to learn the whole week. Zaktik Sav Sefer, that's what Rabbi Yechonah meant. You have to take from Kiddush to Abdullah. You have to make a bridge from the Kiddusha Shabbos, from the Kiddush wine of Shabbos, which represents, of course, how much you're able to imbibe in Torah on Shabbos Kiddush. And take that into the week. Take that wine and use it in Abdallah. Use it when you're entering the weekday. Come in with a bang. Come in with Torah. Come in with a decision that I'm going to steig. I'm going to not just make be a one day a year Torah yid, but I'm going to be an every single day yid. 
every single day I'm going to have a little Shabbos in me. I'm going to make sure to be a Shabbos to Yid. And that's how you're going to get Elam Haba. That's what Rabbi Yechanan himself meant. And I think this is Rabbi Yechanan sort of tilting, tipping his hat to Ilfa and saying that, generally speaking, you can't do it. You can't be an Ilfa. But if you want to, and you really dedicate yourself, and you really want to take from Kiddush and bring it over to Abdullah, then you could be a Nechalel and Abbaal. Then you could really be whoever you want to be. I want to just end with a Misa, with the words Bagarab, with my great-great-grandfather. You know, he was a Goyen, and Yeshiva, they held great promise for him. He was like one of the outstanding Goyenim in Germany. At 20 years old, his father died. And... His mother said, listen, I, I, I want you to stay in learning, but unfortunately I can't support the family. I need your help. You have to do something to Mephanes, myself, and the children. He had younger siblings. So your mother asked you, and I'm going to ask you to do that, even though it, it completely ripped his heart out to leave the base medrash. He says, okay, mama, I'll do it. So he went back to his hometown a city called Wiesenbrunn. I was in that city, and I was in Würzburg. My father took me there on several occasions. It's a small little one-horse town. It was like a very small town with a, you know, not a population of maybe 100, 200 people, very small. And he opened up a little grocery store in that town to finance his his mother and and his siblings. And he only learned there he only worked in the store the minimum amount of hours that he needed to make Parnassar. The second that he had enough to pay for supper and breakfast for the kids, he would shut, up, shut the store and go to the base medish and learn, and learn the entire night until he had to open the store again. And even when he was in the store, people that came to patronize the store, to buy things from this little grocery store, this little variety store, they felt like they were intruding on him. They felt like funny even going into the store because it was more like a base medish than a store. He always had all of his svarim sprawled out on the counter. There was no cash register and there was no, there was nothing. It was just his svarim and, and you know, they felt like they didn't want to go into the store because they were going to like be mevatolos terror. And obviously he wasn't the most successful businessman this way. Two years later, he got married, and his wife took over the store so that he could sit and learn, and he learned and he learned until he became the Gadol Adar. But I think this is what symbolizes his minig of being Mishayim Mikidushal Abdalta. He took, even in extenuating circumstances, he could have said, you know, okay, fine, this is my, the next chapter in my life, I have to work. Okay, the yeshiva days are over, now I'm going to be a Balabas, and I'm going to be a Balabas, Lemahadrin. But he didn't. He dedicated himself in spite of the fact that now the circumstances have changed and I have to readjust what I'm doing with my life. I'm still going to maintain the Kiddush, even the Meha Abdullah. And this is an important lesson. This is the lesson that Rabbi Yechon himself teaches us. That yes, it's difficult. Yes, Pashtus, Tzlaimei Torah needs to be seated. You have to sit and you have to steig and you have to be ma'amo. And that's really, there's no substitute for that. If you want to be a real tamachacham, there's no shortcuts. You have to do it that way. But, it's possible still, if you really try hard and you really have that focus and that intent, and the Rabbi Nishan will give you the siyat of the Shmaya, to be makadish, to be mavdil, to be able to to take from the Kedusha that you have in the Yeshiva and spread that in the world in your business dealings to be ethical and honest and to be tight properly to do the right stitches and do them in the most perfect way possible and therefore everybody will look at you and say wow, that's how Yid operates he's ethical, he's honest, he's professional he's precise, meticulous but also to never ever forfeit on your dreams of becoming a true Talmud Chacham. 
in the Mahalach of Ilfa and the Mahalach of the Alshech and of the Chayadam of Rephaim Margolis, the words Begarov, all of them were able to be Nechle Elam in spite of the fact that sometimes they had to be Me'eber Layam. Have a good Shabbos.